Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. Hey friends, I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and in this mini-episode, my co-host Adam Hawkins is going to share his story. As a part of our series on mental health, we want you guys to hear from folks who are dealing with different issues of mental health. And so we're going to start with Adam as he shares about his story with anxiety. I'm Adam Hawkins, and uh, I'm really thankful to be able to share my battle with anxiety and depression with you guys. Um, there's a lot of backstory that I could talk about, but I think maybe just introducing the point at which my anxiety became most acute is most helpful for today. I was in college, and I was having a tough time trying to decide what I wanted to be or do. Uh, when I was younger, I had, um, I was saved at church camp when I was younger, but there was a lot of intervening moments in my life that were really chaotic and, um, and difficult. And I'd never really dealt with those. I came from a broken family. There was addiction. There was all kinds of things happening inside of that family dynamic. And my role was sort of to be a, the, maybe a, a, a steady person. Um, I didn't often voice the way I was struggling. Uh, and as others were falling apart around me, I tried to be you know, uh, the more secure one, I guess you'd say. I don't know. My siblings might laugh at that, but but um, there there was a, a yeah, there was some truth to that. So I went to college and I um, started studying philosophy, and I kind of was leaving behind some of my faith, I would say. And as I was studying philosophy, I realized this is what I want to do. I want to give my life to. And this was a very secular view, by the way. I, I wanted to I wanted to be a part of the conversation of what it looked like uh, to to find out more about this world and how it works. Um, and at the same time, I knew that that isn't a really great gig, uh, and so I was um, also thinking about law school and stuff like that. Also, at the same time, all I had ever wanted to be was a drummer in a band, and so I knew that I had to leave that behind. And so I was leaving family behind for the first time. I was leaving my band behind, which I'd given a ton of time to, and I was trying to make this decision. And so here's where the anxiety and depression enters in. So I had all this trauma and some things happen to me when I was younger that I never dealt with, and I am getting on the airplane to fly to Boston to prepare to go to law school. And as I got on the airplane, I started feeling really sick to my stomach. I felt nauseous. Uh, but then something else strange happened. I had this sense of dread wash over me. It was as if a cloud fell on me. Um, and I'm getting on, and I get on the airplane. And then I, the only way I can describe it is that I saw this line in my head. It was like not a vision, but like it was a feeling that I'm visualizing. I saw a line in my head that if I crossed it, I'd never be able to come back. 
So I am now sitting on a plane that's beginning to taxi away from the uh, from the gate. And I went up to the flight attendant and I said, ma'am, can I please sit in the bathroom for this whole flight because I'm losing my mind? And she looked at me and I said, I feel sick and that kind of stuff. And she was so kind to me. This is post 9-11, by the way. She was really kind to me, but she was like, sir, you're going to have to not fly on this plane. <laughs> and so, um, you know, to say I got kicked off the airplane is true, but also a little, it wasn't like a dramatic kickoff. Nobody knew what was going on, but they had to taxi the plane back to the gate. Uh, and I exited the plane. And what I had had was a panic attack. And I'd, I'd never really had a full-blown one before. I knew enough to know that that was probably what was going on, but it felt so much worse. And um, in that moment, in that very moment, I felt laid low in a way I don't know how to describe because I was fairly prideful at that time. And I was a little bit arrogant, I think, in not that I thought I knew everything, but I thought I knew the way to know everything. And what was exposed in that moment was the fragility of who I really was and what I was really standing on. I was a 23-year-old you know, young man who literally couldn't get on an airplane. Everything changed for me that moment. There is a sense in which, and I think this is probably some PTSD as well, if I'm really honest, my life could be defined in some ways as pre-panic attack and post. And at that time, everything sort of lost its flavor and everything became really scary. And so the, the way I describe it is this, think of yourself before you could get on an airplane and never have a problem. Think of yourself as you could go to a movie theater and never think twice about it. Think of it as I could go on a road trip and ride in the back seat, and never think about it. It was just normal, you just enjoy life, do it. I could go on and on. Now what life looked like was if I went into a movie theater, I needed to sit on the aisle in case I had a panic attack. Because if I had a panic attack, I needed to be able to escape. If I went on an airplane, it was this battle of feeling trapped for that time because I was so afraid of feeling the feeling of panic. Uh, if I got in a car and I started to feel a little nauseous, I was trapped in this car. And so it, at every moment, I became a weak, a weak person you know, riding in a car and having to be embarrassed and say, can you pull over for a minute? I feel weird. That was just now my life, you know, and I didn't know what to do with it. And um, that's what I mean by laid low. That's what I mean by humbled, truly humbled. And so from there, my mom, who was always such a gospel presence in my life, said, hey, I, I was living in Flower Mound, Texas at the time. Again, getting to go to Boston, my mom said, hey, there's a church up the street and they preach the gospel. And a lot of young guys go there and they're intellectual, which she knew would appeal to me. And so I walked into what at the time was the Village Church at Island Village campus um, uh, and heard the gospel preached. And uh, uh, it, it that too changed my life. And so from that point on, I walked out of there and it was like, that's right. I remember this is what, this is truth. This is what life's really about. My 
my life has been now over the past 15, no, longer than that, a couple decades of battling anxiety and depression. And um, that's meant everything from intrusive thoughts, which an intrusive thought is just, it's a thought that you can't get out of your head and they're scary. It might be that you're watching a movie and there's a scene of violence and all of a sudden you think, uh-oh, what if I do that to somebody? And now you're thinking, I'm crazy. I'm a crazy person. I'm a, even though you're not violent at all or whatever, it's just a thought that sticks with you. Uh, panic attacks, um, general anxiety, which is uh, the way I describe general anxiety is you wake up in the morning and you feel like you have the flu with a sense of dread on top of it and it just won't leave you. So it's not necessarily like an incessant worry, like I'm gonna lose my job or something like that. What anxiety does is it sits in your chest and in your stomach and in your head and then it, but it has no object. So then what you do, your body, your mind naturally tries to find an object to it. So I f think of it this way, I feel terrified something out there must be terrifying. And then your mind maps the terrified feelings on everything. I'm terrified about my relationship. And then you think about it, it's like, oh no, it's not my relationship. I'm terrified about my job. Well, no, it's not my job. It's just a floating cloud of horror. It's a horror scape. That's what I was living. But at the same time, I discovered God at the, uh, or discovered a new understanding of God. And I got into counseling right away. And I, I did secular counseling in Boston as I went to law school. That was very helpful. It helped me historicize my suffering. It helped me to look at the story of my life and understand why I had gotten to where I'd gotten to. It didn't necessarily heal or cure. That's what I would say. Um, and I'm not, um, that's not a judgment call. That's just where I was in my counseling journey. Very good counselor would never give it up. There was a lot of help and healing that came from that. And then, um, the other thing I would say is, so I got on medication, uh, which is a common grace. And I struggled a lot. I've been on and off medication throughout my life and finally met with a uh, psychiatrist who just said, hey, you've had three to four major depressive episodes in your life. You will continue to have them. The best thing you can do is try to stay on medication. And so I heeded her advice. And let me say this about medication, the way I think it works and what's the way I think it's really good is to do it in community. So my wife is able to say, my home group able to, was able to say at that time, hey, I think this is working and it's really good. Uh, they were also able to say, hey, I don't think this is working or this is not the right medication. It's not, you, you seem off or something in that. So my point is to say it's a common grace from God given to us um, that does not cure the problem, but can alleviate it enough that you can then focus on the underlying issues. Uh, and, and evidence bears this out, you know, as well. The other thing that happened is eventually I moved back to Texas with my wife, who uh, was my fiance at the time, and um, I had another really bad bout of, of generalized anxiety this time, and I couldn't eat. I didn't eat for probably like six months, not because I was uh, restricting my diet, but because I felt physically ill every day. Um, and so honestly, for, for two months, I literally didn't put anything, any food in my, any solid food in my body. Um, but for around six months, struggled mightily with it. And so I started and went to, at the Village Church in the Dallas campus, I went to recovery. That's where I'd went, gone. And I had not been involved in a um, Christian community up to then. When I went to school in Boston, it was hard for me at the time to find a church up there. I know many now, but I didn't then. And so what I thought I was going to encounter 
was Southern Bible Belt judgy people. That's honestly, in my experience of church as a kid, no offense, was sort of this place where kind of people faked, faked it. But when I came to recovery, what I experienced were people who were struggling. They were struggling to know the Lord. They were struggling to understand why they were suffering the way they were. And they were sitting under the grace and mercy of the Lord and letting that say something about their suffering and healing began to happen. What I started to experience in recovery was not Christians throwing platitudes at me, not saying, look at the birds, look at the fields, does not God not care more than you, so just don't worry. That's a way to offer that biblical truth as a platitude. But I had my home group leader say, hey, have you ever finished that those verses out? Have you ever kept reading? And I'm like, I have. And he's like, what does it say? And so we examined it together. And he said, the next part says, do not be anxious, but first seek the kingdom of God. And he just asked me this question, what does that mean for you? And it really bothered me. It made me angry. I thought another platitude. I hadn't eaten for several months at that point. I was sick and I was, you know, wasting away. And that night I went to bed and I, again, I was angry at him. And I, kept, I thought this thought, I thought, I, if God, if you offered me the chance to have more of Jesus or the chance to feel better immediately. So have Jesus and not get better, not feel better, or just feel better and have no Jesus. At that time in my life, I would have chosen just help me to feel better. I don't think that's wrong, okay? I think many of many people who are suffering need relief. But in that moment for me, I understood what it meant to seek the kingdom first. And I prayed to God with my family and my, my fiance and my wife. I said, God, I don't know if I'm going to feel this way forever, but if it means getting more of you, that's okay. And the mantra for me now with my anxiety and depression, which is still there and continues to morph and change. And, you know, I have new things that I'm afraid of that I was never afraid of before, but there's relief there and there's been a lot of growth. And what I would say that Jesus has taught me is, and I'm stealing this from a, a, a professor um, at, um, who was a Christian at University of Chicago. Uh, she said this statement and is now how I live through anxiety. It's that healing comes in the absence of a cure. And I have thought about that so much, which was the same thing as Jesus, every day is another day to experience your grace and mercy, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how I feel. Meaning, regardless if I'm anxious, I get another day to just gaze upon your beauty. So that, that's been my experience with my anxiety. That's how I found healing. Ultimate healing was coming. It came through the church and a community of believers who were able to tell me that, hey, regardless of your suffering, God's with you. There's purpose to it. And we by being around you and with you will be will bear witness uh, to the love of Christ as we enter into your life. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast and follow us on Instagram too. Thanks and God bless.